0: All right, welcome guys, great to have you. My name's Drew, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm excited to be here with you for Vision Sunday. So we are gonna be talking about the vision of our church from Matthew chapter five. And if you go on our website, you might notice that we don't have some catchy vision statement or that, but actually that the vision of our church is embedded in the name of our church. And what I've found is that by digging into this passage, in Matthew 5, I continue to learn more deeply what the vision of our church is. Let me illustrate this for you. So I actually continue to learn who my kids are by understanding their names as well. So one of my daughter's names is Aria. And I thought when I named Aria that her name meant beautiful song, which it does in Italian. But I began to see some other things came, come out in her life. And so I remember one time doing a Google search And saying, what are some other aspects of her name? And so I I dug into it and found out that her name means lioness in Hebrew. And I was like, this makes a lot more sense (laughs) with the things that I'm seeing in her life. And this week, as I dug into this passage in Matthew 5, I began to see some more things about who God wants us to be as a church. I think often when we talk about vision, we begin to talk about what we want to do as a church. But I think what God wants to show us in this passage this morning is who he wants us to be as a church in the deepest part of our character. So if you will, open up to Matthew chapter five, and we're looking at verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here's what I'm seeing in this passage is that God is calling us to a radically different life than the life that we live naturally. He's calling us to be supernaturally transformed from the inside out and to live a completely different life kind of life. And I think one way to summarize what he's calling us to as a church is to say that that salt city is called to be become a countercultural community. So let's just break that down into three parts and see exactly what God is calling us to be as a people in the deepest parts of our character. So the first thing I see that that God is calling us to be is to be counterculturally Humble. Okay, we got to back up a little bit from this passage and go to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 to get us, give it some context. What we're really doing is unpacking the word you in the passage. The passage started off with, You are the salt of the earth. And so we want to know who is the you? Who is he talking to? And we get an idea from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says this Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, normally, when we talk about the blessed life, we think of success, we think of a certain standard of living, we think of achievements in our workplace. And Jesus says, Hold on just a second, let me talk to you about the good life. And he says the good life starts with who you are at the core of your being. And he says the good life is actually found in the exact opposite way than you think it is. It's found in being a humble person. And what commentators have noticed is that these three beatitudes or ways of the blessed life are the foundation of the rest of the beatitudes. So if you want to read more of the Beatitudes, you can just keep reading in Matthew 5, and there's a number of them listed there. But the reason we're talking about these three is because they form the foundation of all of the rest of them. He says, the foundation of the happy life is internally not to be proud, but to be humble. Think about those those three images there of being poor in spirit, of mourning, and of being meek. Those are not things that we normally associate with the vision of our church or with the happy life. But Jesus says, before we seek to impact the world out there, we need to check ourselves. And really what he's saying is, make sure that you are genuinely a follower of Jesus. Because what these really are is they're indicators that you have come to genuine faith in Jesus. See, there's sort of two different paths that you will take if you are not a follower of Jesus that will bypass humility. The first one is the religious path. And if you're on the religious path, here's what you say. I keep the rules better than anyone else or better than most people around me. I'm actually a pretty good person. And if you have that sort of attitude, you won't be poor in spirit, you'll be middle class in spirit. (laughs) You're gonna be the type of person who sort of looks down on other people and thinks that the people around you are the way that they are because they're not as enlightened as you are. Because they didn't do things right, because they didn't work hard in school, Because they're not as moral or upstanding, they haven't made the right choices in their life. And so you'll look down on them and you'll say, I'm just glad that I'm not like them. Of course, you never say that out loud, but that is the spirit of your life. Or you could take sort of the secular option, which basically says there's no such thing as moral absolutes. So you can do what's right for you and I'll do what's right for me But in so choosing your worldview, what you do is also bypass the necessity of humility because there's nothing to live up to. There's no standard to abide by. And so there's sort of a pride in whatever type of lifestyle you are choosing to live. And let me say that The reason that we do this is because it's incredibly difficult for us to face the reality about ourselves. And so here's what we see in this passage. The one who's speaking these words is Jesus. And we don't as Christians so much compare ourselves against a standard as we do compare ourselves against a person. And here's what you see in Jesus. He is a wonderful person. He has every reason to be proud. And he's the most humble man who ever lived. He had every reason to not care about you and I. And he came to us in kindness and in love. And when we begin to see him for who he is, it begins to make us ashamed. It begins to make us realize that we have come so far short of what God intended for our humanity and our hearts begin to break. And at this point, when we see Jesus as he really is, the loving person who came to rescue us from our sins, we have one of two choices and two choices only. We can turn away. We can say, I want nothing to do With him. I want nothing to do with that. And we turn back to our life of pride and self sufficiency, or we bow the knee. We follow after Jesus. But in order to follow after Jesus, we must fundamentally admit that we have been getting our lives completely wrong, and thus we must be poor in. Spirit, meek, mourn over the choices that we have made. So the Christian life starts with countercultural humility. Are we a humble people? Not a people who look down on the people out there or talk about the world out there as if that's the problem and don't see that the most fundamental problem that each of us have is us. It's actually our sin. It's actually our propensity to turn away from God and walk our own way. We are part of the problem. Jesus is the one whom we follow. Which then leads us to begin to live this outward kind of life. A life that's not self-focused and proud, but a life that is actually... Counterculturally engaged. Okay, so verse 13, we get into the passage we're actually looking at. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So here's what you need to know about salt in the ancient world. Salt was used to prevent decay in meat. So if meat was left unrefrigerated for any amount of time, that meat would be infested with bacteria and it would go bad very quickly. And so what salt does when you rub it into meat is it replaces the water molecules in the meat with salt molecules, and it displaces the water molecules so that bacteria can't grow as quickly. This process of curing meat is actually used today as well in the making of, for example, beef jerky, right? So I read up on this. The the way that, the way, I, I don't just know this off the top of my head, by the way. So So the way that beef jerky is made, you dehydrate it, but if you want to actually be able to package it up and sell it at a gas station or something like that, you actually have to rub these curing salts into it. And by rubbing the curing salts into it, the beef jerky will be able to last outside of a refrigerator as long as it would have lasted inside of the refrigerator. And so the essential thing here that Jesus is getting at is that he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world, counter-culturally engaged. So there's two things that he wants us to see here. He wants us to be completely distinct from the world, as salt is distinct from meat that you rub it into. But he also wants us to be incredibly engaged in the world, almost indistinguishable, from the world. Think of that image of salt rubbed in to a piece of meat. At 10 feet, you wouldn't even be able to tell what was the salt and what was the meat. So here's the thing: you cannot possibly be too engaged in the world. And you cannot possibly be too distinct from the world. We are called to be both at exactly the same time. So think about the different spheres that we could potentially be involved in. We could be involved in politics. We could be involved in our families. We could be involved in our communities. We could be involved with our neighbors. We could be deeply involved with our workplace. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, as Christians, I don't want you to withdraw from the world And go do your own thing. I want you to actually be intimately involved with the world without losing your distinctiveness from the world. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because all of us have a tendency to either go to one extreme or the other. We run away from the world and form these sort of holy huddles, sort of monastic communities where we pursue holiness trying to be like God, but we say, forget about the world. Or we have a tendency to want to be engaged with our friends, and maybe our initial intention is to reach them for Jesus and influence them, but what actually ends up beginning to happen is that we begin to be influenced by them rather than influencing them. And Jesus says, no, I want you to be both. I want you to go into every nook and cranny of this city and I want you to be involved and I want your purpose in that place to prevent the rot and decay that is rampant in our society, that is causing broken marriages, that is producing abortions, that is causing poverty, that is causing people to be lazy and unengaged In the workplace and be distant fathers and absent mothers. And I actually want you to go into all these different spheres of life and I want you to be actively present and yet completely distinct so that you actually are able to prevent decay from happening in those places by the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit. We don't need to be afraid anymore. We have Jesus living inside of us and he is looking us in the eyes as a church family and he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You're the hope of the world. This is God's plan A. And we can go out with courage to be different so that people look at us and they think that we're weird, but we're different for a purpose because we love and care about our community and the people around us. So we're called to be Counterculturally engaged—you can't possibly be too engaged in the world. And then we're supposed to come not just with Saul, but also with light. And I think what he's getting at with this image of light is that he wants us to be counterculturally joyful, filled with light. When when somebody's filled with joy, we often say there's just a light about their countenance. And this is what Jesus said, verses. But so the bad news is the world is not just a decaying, dying place. The world is also an incredibly dark place. It means the world is a place where sin reigns and it's hidden in these dark corners. And we're called as Christians to shine our light in such a way that it illuminates people On the path toward the good life, and it also exposes that they are on the wrong path. How is it that we as Christians are light? Many of us are saying, I don't really feel like a light. I don't feel like I have a joyful countenance. But Jesus doesn't say, You have the opportunity to be the light of the world. He says, You are the light of the world. If you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. And here's how that has happened. Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's what happens. The world is completely dark, and this baby is born in Bethlehem, and he becomes A man, and he goes around doing good works and talking about his father, and a light enters a dark world. But Jesus' intention in being the light of the world was not to sort of keep that light to himself, it was actually to give that light to others. And so for those of us who are believers in Jesus, what happens is Jesus sort of takes his candle and he lights our candle when we become Christians. It's actually unbelievable. He's the light of the world and he turns us into little lights of the world by his spirit so that we are actually able to take that light into the darkest corners of this earth and we are able to shine it. It doesn't originate with us But it is actually Jesus Christ himself living his life in and through us. And here's the exhortation of the passage. It's actually very simple to understand. He gives us two images. The first is a city on a hill. He says if there's a city built on a hill that is lit up, you're going to be able to see it. That's the point of building a city on a hill, especially In ancient times, cities were built on hills because they were places of refuge and safety, and so they build them up on hills so that people who were far off could see them and come and get help. So the the light was saying, there's help here for you. There's refuge here for you. But the point is, you build the city on the hill so people can see it. And then secondly, if you have a lamp, and in this time you're talking about these little oil lamps, you would place those lamps on a stand. It would be ridiculous if you lit a lamp and then placed a basket over it because you wouldn't be able to see anything. This is not hard to understand. You guys could all teach this to each other. I don't even know why I'm explaining this. It's meant to be like hilarious. You don't Hide a lamp under a basket. And so many of us, we have the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And we're hiding that light under a basket. And Jesus is saying, let that light shine. Let it shine. It's like that little kid's song. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know that whole thing. You let that light shine in two ways. Good works, right? So look with me at verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, that's the first thing, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he's saying both of these things simultaneously. Good works. Be a person who is known for going the extra mile for doing the right thing in whatever sphere of life you happened to be engaged in. Martin Luther famously said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. He need, they need your good works because they're lost and they need a light to shine, a light that they're drawn to, so that then they begin to ask you the question. They begin to ask you the question, Why are you living this way? Why aren't you taking the easy way out like everybody else? Why is your life characterized by goodness? And then he says, our good works need to be accompanied by true words. How else are people going to give glory to your Father who is in heaven? People aren't just going to see that you're the one making the coffee at the office place and be like, glory to God. Like, this is amazing. God is here, right? But if they see you do that over and over and over again, and you get to work early, and your life is characterized by good works, and they begin to ask you, why do you do that? And you say, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus. It's because I woke up this morning and I got into his word and I saw that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because I'm a follower of him, I actually do what he did because he has changed my life. And that person says, I want what you got, or they're never going to talk to you again. One of the two. (laughs) They're going to think you're weird. But that's the risk that we take as Christians. Because light is going to illuminate the truth for some people, but it's also going to make some people want to run and hide because they would prefer to hide in the darkness. But won't it be worth it for us as a church if we will let our light shine? Wouldn't we see people transformed by the truth of the gospel and wouldn't We delight to see more and more people involved in this community and meeting Jesus. Wouldn't it be worth a hundred no's to see one yes? It absolutely would. I was reminded of this just the other day. We were with our staff team and we went to this Irish pub downtown Minneapolis and there happened to be this, this greeter there. I don't even remember his name. Maybe one of our staff remembers his name. But this guy is just glowing. I mean, it was obvious there is something different about this guy and he's greeting us and we're greeting him. And you can kind of tell, like we're both thinking, maybe they're, he's a Christian. Maybe they're Christian. We sit down, we eat our meal and he comes over and says, Hey, what are you guys doing here? And we say, we all work for a church. We just went to this conference just a couple blocks away. We're here having food together. And he just said, I thought you guys were Christian. And we were like, we thought you were a Christian. (laughs) And, and there's just this there's just this thing that, that the Holy Spirit is shining in your life, and there's just a difference. There's something that people can see, and it doesn't have to be this crazy thing that you're trying to do all the time, like pasting on a smile or something like that. But when you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, yes, imperfectly, yes, inconsistently, but yes, really, it's true, the light of Jesus is in you and we're called simply to let that light shine. Guys, what would it look like if this became a little bit more true of our church? What if we were just a little bit more humble? What if we caught ourselves looking down on others or sort of dismissing the moral standard and instead we came back a little bit more to Jesus and we began to say, Jesus, I actually want to follow you more consistently in my life. And we began to inwardly mourn. Guys, I've been mourning this week, to be honest with you. As I've looked at this passage, it's like looking into a mirror and seeing all the imperfections in your character. And I've been looking and I've just been mourning my own character. I'm just like, man, I am not like Jesus in so many different ways. And I would invite you into that because it's not pleasant, but it is productive to look at Jesus and to begin to mourn? What if we began to cast aside our pride and really have real humility about where we're at and just admit to each other, like, I'm not following Jesus as consistently as I would like to be, and I'd like to begin to follow him more closely. And what if we became more engaged in the lives of people around us? What if we put aside the iPhone and we didn't add new things to our lives, but just in our workplace, We just decided, I'm going to be more engaged. I'm going to ask people how they're doing. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to do what I can to represent Jesus in every aspect of my life. And as we did that, this humility starts to come out of our life. And and these good works begin to come out of our life. And then people begin to ask us what's going on. And we actually just took the opportunity to let our light shine. Do you know what I think would happen? I think the Great Commission would happen. I think if we became who Jesus wants us to be, that we would begin to do or more consistently do what he's called us to do. And so the action step, guys, I think is actually incredibly simple. Look at this verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. Be with Jesus. Come to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Know Jesus in such a way that his light becomes your light and that light shines to those around you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this vision that's embedded in our name that you call us to be the salt of the earth and like a city on a hill. And we want to be a place that is marked by deep engagement with our culture and all the different places where we find ourselves. And we also want to be a place where the light of Jesus shines forth from our lives. And we know that that's only possible when we're connected to you. So I think what we want to say is, man, we haven't been drawing near to you like we want to. There are holes in our character, in our consistency, and in our life with you and we wanna take this opportunity on Vision Sunday just to come back to you. God, would, would this next season of our life be a season of walking with and enjoying you? I pray this all in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.